Welcome. <laughs> Welcome and good morning. Um, we, uh, our pastor Jerry had a birthday and we sent a card out to him and I'm going to read the card that he sent back just as for kindness shown through the way you cared for thoughtfulness and blessings shared. Dear Desert Garden family, thank you and God bless you. Your love and support overwhelm our hearts. Jerry loves his birthday greetings. He caught up with me. Now, we're a pair of 84-year-olds. <laughs> love, Pastor Jerry and Iris. <laughs> they are 84. I can't hardly believe it. Seems like yesterday we had his 80th birthday, huh? Yeah, it wasn't yesterday. It's four years ago. <laughs> Well, today is the day the Lord has made, and it is Mother's Day, so thank you. So uh, happy Mother's Day, all the mothers. Lord bless you. A new creation. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Those of you who were in Sunday school, we kind of had a rousing discussion that centered around this kind of thinking, are, are being made new. <laughs> I once heard a carpenter say that it is always better and usually more economic to construct a new house rather than patch up an old one. My husband's saying yes. This is even more true in the spiritual realm. The old nature, with its deceitfulness, its depravity, and its wickedness, must give way to the new nature. And this is exactly what God stands ready to do. God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Ezekiel 36, 26. What a challenge. It is much more difficult to change our dispositions than it is our apparel. As a matter of fact, it is utterly impossible for us to change our dispositions in our own strength. But God can. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creature. God doesn't just want to patch us up. He wants to remake us completely into his likeness, into the likeness of Christ. He wants to come into our lives and begin to change us from within. Have you asked him to do that? He will. What a wonderful message. Let me pray. Dear Father, we praise and thank you for this new day that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for setting aside a day to honor mothers and to be grateful for those whom you've set over us as our mothers. I ask you to bless each mom here and to give her a special place in her family and in the love of her children. And then, Father God, your mercy does endure forever. And as we called upon you, Holy Spirit, we said, Holy Spirit, come into this place. We ask you now that you would come and fall into this place today, that you would draw our hearts to you, and that you would make every part of this service as a worship to the holy God that we serve. In Jesus' name, amen. He has made me glad. Amen. Thank you. 
to the hills from whence comes my help my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth he will not allow your foot to be moved he who keeps you will not slumber behold he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep the Lord is your keeper the Lord is your shade at your right hand the Sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night the Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Amen to that. Would you stand with me and we'll recite the Lord's Prayer together? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's Colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me, for my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Join us in the responsive reading. May the love of the Father the tenderness of the Son, and the presence of the Spirit gladden our hearts and bring peace to our souls this day and all days. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you made, you made all. You created everything. But you gave, you gave the earth to the humans. To You still own it but it's sort of like on a lease. But you and we each have, you give each one of us certain things according to what you know we will be able to handle. And Lord, we, but you call on us to give back, to share what you have blessed us with. So Lord, the gifts that are given today, we ask you to bless them and guide us in their usage. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Arise for the doxology. Praise 
be seated. Well, the Lord is good, isn't he? Yep, okay. Uh, yeah, the Lord bless all you mothers. Mothers are incredible, aren't they? Lord, we open with a word of prayer. We ask you that you will anoint the words that I will speak, that you will anoint the ears to hear and help us to hear and obey and do what you've called us to do. We thank you and we praise you for your word that brings life, uh, brings joy, uh, brings love, brings the fruit of the Spirit, Father. We thank you that you are alive and well. And we ask that your word will speak to us this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm going to like to start a series um, in the book of Revelation. We're only going to go through the first three chapters. So we're going to concentrate on the, um, the seven churches, which are found in chapters two and three. But in order to get the context, I felt like we needed to to pick up chapter one as well, uh, to give us the context of the book of Revelation. So um, we'll do the first eight verses today. Um, The revelation of Jesus Christ, whom God gave to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him, so shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So, first thing I'd like to talk to you about is the context and the both the historical and the geographical context of what we're talking about with the seven churches. Um, And the book of Revelation is a letter, okay? That's the first thing we need to be aware of. It says, John to the seven churches. So John sent this circular, we don't don't know whether he did it as a circular letter that, you know, would, would be go from one church to the other or whether he sent seven letters out, you know, copied them and sent them out. Uh, probably his Xerox machine wasn't working, so he would have had somebody to copy them down and send them out. But it was a letter. And that's the, um, you know, that's the first thing we need to understand about it. But it was also apocalyptic literature. So uh, it's a, a different kind of letter. And the seven churches are in an area, and I'm going to walk over here so that you can... Uh, See, oh, wait a minute, you know what, I forgot my thing. (laughs) Anyway, um, the seven churches in Revelation, okay, are, they start, it starts in Ephesus, 
and then goes up the coast. Ephesus was, was on the coast at the time. Goes up to Smyrna, that was also on the coast. And Pergamum was on the coast. Uh, so they were all coastal cities. And then goes inland, and they're, they're in this order, in kind of this horseshoe order, to Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And Laodicea is, is very near Colossae that we, when we studied uh, the book of Colossians. So, um, and it's, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful area. We'll you know, be, be uncovering more of this when we, you know, when we dig into this. And just for your information, we, uh, when we were called to Turkey, we were called first to Pergamum, that, what is today Bergama in that area. And uh, so our ministry took in really, really, uh, you know, part of that, uh, what we call the Northern Aegean. So this is, um, you know, <clears throat> going in and talking about these seven churches is also personal to me because we planted, I mean, we planted uh, churches in that area. When we went there the uh, first time, there were no known believers in the whole area. And, uh, and then, and now there are, but, uh, but that's, that's what we concentrate on was this, this area of the seven churches. And John wrote the, or received the revelation, what we call the revelation, while he was on Patmos. And the Roman authorities were beginning to enforce emperor worship. Okay, and so um, the Christians had a problem with that. <laughs> which we would have a problem with that as well, because the Christians would have to say, you know, we have to repeat that, that the emperor is Lord, you know, um, is Lord. And, and we, as Christians, they said, no, we're not going to do that. So John was one of those, and John then was exiled to Patmos, which was a penal colony. Um, and you can see it here. If you look real closely, I see where it says Bodrum there. And to the right. right. Yeah, on our right, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of across from there, up a little bit and cross. You see where Patmos is there? Okay. It's a tiny little island and uh, 13 square miles. And Caroline and I have been there, uh, been to the cave where John received this uh, revelation. But he was exiled because he would not declare that the emperor was Lord. And so they, they, uh, they excommunicated him. Uh, but he was only there for 18 months. Podmos today has a population of about 3,000 people. There's not much on it. It's kind of a very barren kind of area. But, um, but at the time, in the Roman Empire was what we call the Pax Romana. Have you ever heard of that before? Okay, and the Pax Romana was, was, it was a time of peace. Okay, that's what Pax, Pax means peace, but it was an enforced peace. I mean, you either agreed with the emperor or you're dead. That's so it's real easy to have, have a peaceful home if you kill your children when they disobey. You know, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, that's the way the, Roman, the Pax Romana was. And so the revelation was written about 95 AD, okay? Up until the time of Nero, and Nero ruled from 54 AD to 68 AD, the church enjoyed relative freedom, 
and from government persecution. I mean, there was a lot of uh, different kinds of persecution, but not so much government persecution. And so the su Christians suffered, suffered two periods of persecution. The first one was during Nero's reign from AD 54, really toward the end of uh, Nero's reign. And the story is that Nero started a fire in Rome and it burned a lot of the city. And in order to take the blame off of himself, he blamed it on the Christians and started a persecution against the Christians. But that was more of a localized kind of, uh, it was about 64 AD. Uh, but then later on, under the reign of Domitian, there was another uh, persecution as well. But in the in interim time, a huge event happened in 70 AD. Any, anybody remember what happened in 70 AD? Temple. Yeah, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. And so there was an uprising among the Jews. And so um, the government, you know, <clears throat> tried to put that to arrest and, and the, the uh, Jews would not cooperate. And so Rome sent in their forces and totally destroyed the whole city of Jerusalem and the temple. And the temple was never rebuilt after that time, okay? And so what we have today is in, in how many of you have been to Israel? Okay. Um, in Israel, you can go to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall. Did you go there? Yeah, okay, an incredible, I, it was a really um, significant event for me to go to that Wailing Wall because you can see, uh, there's a, the next slide shows, um, yeah, you see this, day, you know, almost day and night, people standing in the wall and they would go and, and wail, uh, entreating God to restore the temple, build the temple again. And they would also put little, um, <clears throat> little prayers in all the cracks. So, um, so 70 AD, but interestingly enough, Chuck Missler says that the Christians were warned ahead of time and the Christians fled the city of Jerusalem um, to other areas so that he says that there were no Christians killed in this Jewish uprising and the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem because the, the Christians had already dispersed called the diaspora all over the known world at that time. So the... From 70 AD then to 26 years later, John received the revelation. Okay, so it's in 90, 94 AD, John received 95 AD. John receives the, the, um, the revelation, but 25 years, 26 years had passed since that time. Now the easiest form of transportation was the Mediterranean Sea. And because, um, so you can see, here's the Mediterranean down in the bottom there. And so from Jerusalem and from uh, Israel, the easiest form of transportation is up along those, those uh, you know, the coastal areas. So the most, uh, the, the, the most prosperous cities then were in, were in uh, Ephesus, Rome, and Alexandria. Alexandria you can't quite see, but it's down off of... Uh, at what's, what is today modern-day uh, Egypt. So they were the three centers of Christianity. The period from 70 to 110 AD 
is one of the, uh, one historian said, one of the most obscure portions of Christian history. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, we just don't know much of what happened. We, know, we do know that the churches were planted and continued to grow and so, so on. So there was then during this time, and in the reign then of Domitian, the emperor, toward the end of his reign, there was another persecution of the Christians. And that's what we find happening at this time. So um, in Smyrna, to the letter in Smyrna, Revelations 2.10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Okay? So in this letter then, God is warning them there's a time of persecution coming soon. Uh, Philadelphia, Revelations 3.10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is to come upon the whole world. And then in Pergamum, in Revelations 2.13, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas. Okay? And we'll study about that when we get to Pergamum. But Antipas was put to death, uh, was one of the first martyrs um, uh, in, you know, in that day. So, uh, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So, Christianity continued to grow, and then out of Christianity came the Byzantine Empire. Right, have you heard the Byzantine Empire? Okay, Byzantine Empire was headquartered in Constantinople at that time, um, or it was called at that time Byzantium. And we read, and most, how many of you have had a Christian history class somewhere? Okay. Uh, most Christian history concentrates on the Roman Empire. But the locus, the primary locus of Christianity was in the eastern branch of Christianity, headquartered in what? In Byzantium or Constantinople. That was the center of Christianity up until, uh, you know, out of the Middle Ages, and then gradually that shifted to the Roman Empire. And so we, you know, we consider Rome then and the Roman Empire that we kind of, as Christians, we come out of the Roman Empire. We really didn't. We came out of the Byzantine Empire. <laughs> we came out of the Eastern branch of Christianity. That was stronger at that time than the Roman Empire. Okay, so this was written by John, the Apostle John, and John wrote five letters. The Gospel of John, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, that wasn't three people, that were three letters, and the book of Revelation. So he wrote, penned all of those. John was the only apostle who died a natural death. All the rest of them were martyred. But John died of natural causes sometime after 98 AD. And so John became then um, the apostle to Asia Minor. It was called Asia Minor at that time. And he became the apostle uh, headquartered. The next slide, I think, shows it. Nope. Anyway. Um, he became the apostle of, the, of Ephesus in that whole region. Okay? And he was probably, he was the younger son of Zebedee and Salome. And we learn of Salome in 
uh, at Jesus' death, you remember Salome was there, Mary and Mary and, and Salome, they were the first to get to the tomb. And he was probably the youngest of the apostles. He'd been a fisherman with his father's company, which was large enough to employ hired servants to help with the work. Okay? And so James and John and Peter and Andrew were the first four apostles. And they were all fishermen. They were in a business together, a fishing business together. But James and John were given the name Boerganes, or Sons of Thunder. Okay. <laughs> and they were turbulent and ambitious, intolerant and exclusive. Mark 3.16 says this. These are the twelve he appointed, Jesus, that is, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Borgenes, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, and then it goes on and on, okay? So the first four mentioned are these four fishermen. Mark, 9.30, teacher, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said, no one who does a miracle my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. Forever is not against us, it's for us. So we see in the first one where John, John is referred to as a son of, the, of thunder. And then this one where John is intolerant. Luke 9, 52, he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. You remember, the Samaritans had a real problem with the Jews that the Jews worshipped in, in Jerusalem. And they thought that they could worship any place. Um, when the disciples James and John saw us, okay, remember, they're, they're the two brothers, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? Okay, so, so I think that's where they got the name Sons of Thunder. Yeah. Um, but what this teaches us is how incredible it is that God works in lives. God turned John, who was a son of thunder, intolerant and, and, uh, and just you know, wanting to call down fire from heaven, into what we call the apostle of love. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> the work that God does. And it's a reminder of that God can do incredible things in you as well. That when God gets done with us, he can produce somebody that's totally different than what we started. I know that happened in my life. All right? I'm, I'm a different person than I was. Totally different kind of person. Because of what Jesus has done. So, John was one of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, Peter, James, and John. And we see many times where Peter, James, and John were, were kind of the inner circle. There were the 12, but then there was this inner circle of the three. Jesus took three with him into the house of Jairus when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. The three were with Jesus at the transfiguration, if you remember. And the three were with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So when Jesus wanted to take just a few of the apostles aside, he, he, he drew them in together. And then we see Peter and John as together as companions in the book of Acts. So this, this, uh, this 
relationship that they had carried on even through the book of Acts. They were together at the healing of the crippled beggar in Jerusalem. They were thrown into prison together. They went to Samaria to see what was going on in Samaria. And so we often see uh, Peter and, and, uh, and John traveling together and being sent out together. In Paul's letters, John is only named once. Interesting enough, isn't it? Uh, so we don't know how much of a relationship they had. He was one, but he was named as one of the pillars of the church along with Peter and James. So, okay. And then interestingly enough, after the close of the New Testament, okay, after the New Testament, after we get done with the book of Acts, Paul planted the church in Ephesus, but then um, John went probably in that persecution. We talked about the persecution uh, in 66 AD uh, when <clears throat> from Nero, and John probably at that time um, immigrated in the diaspora up to Ephesus, and he became the apostle to Ephesus, as we mentioned before. Um, and here's a quote. Among those Papias spoke about was John the Apostle, whose tomb Eusebius reported was in Ephesus. The tradition that John had left Jerusalem with a crisis of the 60s and it settled in Ephesus where he lived old age was well attested among the early churches. So John then immigrated um, up into, and as, as we mentioned before, sea travel, you know, catching a boat was, was fairly easy at that time. He immigrated up into Ephesus. Um, and he became a kind of bishop of Asia Minor, of the whole area. And after John was exiled on Patmos, then he went back to Ephesus, and there he ministered Christians in the area for the next 25 years. So we see John um, in Ephesus, exiled to Patmos. He goes back to Ephesus and lives out his life in Ephesus. And the Turks say that Mary spent the last year... Remember, remember the uh, story in, at the crucifixion, John 19, says, when Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby... Now, John never refers to himself in the, in the Gospel of John, but he does refer to the, the apostle whom Jesus loved, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. Um, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here's your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And so outside of Ephesus, up in the, up in the hill country, outside of Ephesus, is Mary's house. Um, and it's been restored. Uh, you know, we're not absolutely sure it was Mary's house, but prob it's probably a, a, you know, I mean, the, the Turks say it is. <laughs> and I don't know, we don't know for sure historically whether it is, but we do believe it probably was. Next slide. That's the interior of Mary's house. And so Mary lived out her years outside of Ephesus and eventually died uh, in that area. Tertullian um, a Christian writer from the late 2nd and early 3rd century wrote that before the Romans banished John to Patmos, they brought him into a Colosseum and dunked him in a vat of boiling oil. When he emerged unharmed, the entire Colosseum converted to Christianity. Now, we're not sure of the historicity of that particular uh, 
thing, but it's probably a, a, a good possibility. And so throughout his life, John then um, raised up to students, Polycarp. Anybody have heard of Polycarp? Yeah, Polycarp was a, a disciple of John, and he became the bishop of Smyrna. We'll talk more about that when we get to Smyrna. Um, also, he taught Ignatius and Irenaeus and Papias of Hierapolis. So some of the great uh, uh, early bishops and, and significant people of that region, John discipled them um, in, you know, and became the bishops and so on. Okay, so um, there's a story um, in a, in, a, in a, it's a Christian history book, uh, actually written by a friend of mine. It says, Irenaeus, who was originally from Asia Minor, but had become Bishop of Lyons in Gaul, recalled around the year 180, a story concerning the Apostle John that had been related to him early, earlier by Polycarp. Remember, John discipled Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, and Irenaeus, his own instructor in the faith. Going into the public bath at Ephesus, John met a certain man named Serinthus, who also claimed to be a Christian leader in the city. <clears throat> Seeing Serinthus, John turned and ran without taking his bath. I mean, I'm sure he had his clothes on, but saying, let us fly, lest even the bathhouse fall down, because Serinthus, the enemy of truth, is with <laughs> So that's the kind of man that John, that John was. All right, so I'm going to go back to our text then in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look. He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. So we learn some incredible things about Jesus Christ from this. Um, first thing is that Christ is divine. He says he's the faithful witness. So what um, Jesus was absolutely uh, a, a faithful witness to what God told him to do. And, and it says in John chapter 8, <clears throat> Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one who I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. I mean, could we say that about ourselves? <laughs> you know, that, that we only say what God gives us to say. So Jesus was the faithful witness Witnessing exactly what God wanted him to say and do. He was totally obedient to his father. Furthermore, he was the firstborn from the dead. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Okay, so the resurrection, we've talked about this before, but the resurrection... Not only important that Christ rose from the dead, but that Christ became the fruit fruits for all of us, and we are going to rise from the dead as well. So when you go 
when you die, you are going to be raised again to be with Jesus. And it's as certain that you will rise to be with Jesus as it is that Jesus rose from the dead. The two are interrelated. He is the firstborn from among the dead. All of us who know Jesus Christ are going to be raised from the dead and be with him forever. Furthermore, we learn that he is eternal. And I love this phrase. He says, I am the Alpha and Omega. And when Jesus says Alpha and Omega are the two, you know, first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so it's everything in between. Jesus is the beginning. He's the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He always existed. He always will. He is eternal. And because he is eternal, he can promise eternal life to us as well. John, 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. All right, I, I think I've mentioned this before. But that little phrase right there is what brought me to Christ. Have I told you about that before? Anyway, that's, um, I, you know, I had come to the place in my testimony, in my, in my walk, where um, I had come to the conclusion, you know, as you, you're kind of your twisted thinking before you come to Christ, that, that love was the answer to all mankind, okay? I mean, I'm not saying that that's a twisted statement, but I mean, you know, you're, you're kind of, all of us are sort of a mishmash of different thoughts and so on before we come to Christ. But I had come to the place where I realized that love is the answer to the world. That's why we went into the Peace Corps. But... I heard that God is love and then that Jesus is God. That's what brought me to faith in Christ. God is love, okay? I know love is the answer. God is the one who loves and love only comes from God and Jesus is God himself. And that's, and, and, you know, it was, it was on that revelation that I gave my heart to Jesus Christ because I realized, wait a minute, uh, Jesus is the answer for all of mankind. He is what people are seeking. And I've, I've mentioned before, I think, that we went into the Peace Corps. We were trying to help the people in Turkey. We thought we could help them some way. And after two years, we both came to the conclusion, we said, we, we don't have what it takes to give to them. And when we found Jesus, we said, now we do. <laughs> and that's what launched us into a whole ministry in later on, many years later, was that now we finally had the answer to give to them. But it also talked to us of Mother's Day. Um, and the single most important ingredient in anybody's life, I believe, is the love that we receive from our parents and especially from our mothers. You know. And that's my mom. <laughs> Virginia Turner Martin. She was a Turner, Virginia Turner. Uh, from Madison, Ohio. Anybody been to Madison, Ohio? Probably not. Okay, anyway. Um, and she married my dad, night, um, not that, she was born in 1907, married my dad, Frank Wade Martin II, and I'm Frank Wade Martin III, and they had three sons. But um, she was an incredible woman. You know, and I just, I, you know, as I was thinking about this and, and 
just many times I've thought about. My mom was an incredible woman. Um, she wasn't a Christian earlier on, but she was dedicated to, and I, and I told you earlier about the phrase um, that love is the answer, that came from mom. Mom raised me that the, what you're to do is to go out and love. But she didn't know Jesus. She didn't have that inward, inward peace herself. And we later on, we led her to faith in Christ. Uh, but she was incredible. Even Caroline, um, not, I shouldn't say even Caroline, but I mean, she, my mom adopted Caroline as well. And, and Caroline became like a daughter to her. And, and uh, so she's important to both of us. And then, but a mom is incredible. You know, mom instill, moms instill so much in their children, don't they? And something we all have in common, we had mothers. <laughs> we, uh, that was before men could have babies. So uh, <laughs> we, all have, we all have mothers, and uh, we thank God for our mothers, don't we? That God so graciously put us in a home and gave us mothers to nurture us. Well, that nurture is from God. God is the one who nurtures us. It's God's love. Mothers love, through Christ, love their children. Furthermore, Jesus says he's freed us from our own sins by his blood. 1 John 4.10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sons. Not that we love God, but that Christ loved us first. And Christ forgave us our sins so that we can start all over again. That was the transition I had to make. Was that um, I knew love was the answer, but I didn't realize I had to be born again in order to really love. And that was the transition I made. Furthermore, he has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve as God and Father. First uh, Peter 2, 4, and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So God is in the business. God is in the process of conforming us to his image and putting us together into a spiritual house. That's what we are here. We're not just a bunch of people who, you know, happen to get together and we go to the same building on Sunday morning. We are a spiritual house that God is building into a whole different house. We are being built into a body. And, and we're kingdom and priests, all of us ministering one to the other as we, as we <clears throat> excuse me, as all of us are conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. I'm going to get a drink. And then it says that Christ is going to return. Revelations 1.7. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And this goes to, back to Matthew. Or immediately after the stress of those days, Jesus says, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky 
and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So one of these days, and we don't know when it is, okay? We don't know how long we've got. We don't know how long it is till Jesus comes back, do we? But we do know that when he comes, every eye is going to see. Every eye is going to, and I don't know how that's going to happen, maybe on television, I'm not sure how it is, or exactly what happens, or, or whether it's just miraculously the whole sky lights up, but every eye is going to see Jesus Christ. Every eye is going to see him when he comes. And every time they confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Some to their you know, mourning, others to their glory and happiness because of Christ come back. And as it says, every eye will see him, even those who pierce. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Those who don't know him are going to mourn because they blew it in their lives. So what does all this mean to us? In the gospel accounts, we see Christ on a donkey in humility entering into Jerusalem. He's an obscure itinerant preacher who never traveled from his own small country and was crucified on a Roman cross as a criminal and buried in a borrowed tomb in obscurity. <clears throat> but when we see him the second time coming back, every eye is going to see, every tongue can everybody's going to, going to acknowledge that Jesus Christ really is the king of the universe, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Every eye is going to see him. Every tongue confess. Yeah, okay, he really is. So Christ comes in the book of Revelation. Christ comes mounted on a white charger. Goes into Jerusalem on a donkey. He comes, he comes back mounted on a white charger. He's the all-powerful son of God, the victor. And he's coming to claim that victory for his people. He's coming in the clouds and every eye will see him and all the earth. Those who don't know him will mourn because they have not believed in him. He came in obscurity. He will come again in triumphant victory over the forces of evil. That's our Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> That's our Jesus coming back in great victory to claim his own. Revelation 17, 14. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and King of, King of kings. So Christ, the Lamb, is going to come back as the Lion, the King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hallelujah. We serve the triumphant God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's, that's what we have. That's what God has promised us. And all of us are going to reign with him. And we are going to acknowledge the whole world is going to acknowledge, finally, that Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. God bless you.
Father, let us take the lessons we learned today. Make them part of our being. Understand how you spread your word and how we how the lessons that, that were learned, the pain that had to be gone through. But Lord, you were there all along, walking with us, walking with John, and teaching so that others may learn from you later on in life. Lord, we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.